0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Welcome. I want to thank you to the VPs and uh, to the elders of Life Changes. And uh, I got a call about two days ago to say, how about, how about it on Sunday night? And uh, I do... I it hard to turn down. I really do love coming to Cape Town. I really do love Life Changes Church. Uh, I love Wally and Shirley and just uh, the story that you planted here and for entrusting. I, I know it's a couple of years on now, but just, uh, and I think something of the fruit of the prayer and the love into this church is continue, continues to be evident as it continues to flourish as a church under Mark's leadership and this team. And I just want to commend you keep commending you will always commend you just uh, this really is a remarkable church so uh, I'm from a church called cogs it is church of the good shepherd and uh, you may wonder about that name and just to put some kind of context the church that I have the privilege of leading is 115 years old so if you think you've got a story you ain't seen nothing yet and I'm not going to start singing but uh, a beautiful beautiful church and i actually learned something two weeks ago, uh, ten days ago, about uh, the church that I have the privilege of leading was there was a man called Reverend Robbins. And uh, for those of you that know Durban, uh, Durban, there is a river called the Amgeni River, which splits Durban in two. And everything south of Durban was old Durban, and everything north of Durban is new Durban, and called Durban North, north of the river. And the Cogs Church, I learned ten days ago, was planted by a Reverend Robbins in 1901 who packed up his family. He was leading a Presbyterian church in central Durban, which at that time only existed south of the river. Uh, Do any of you know Durban? So can you kind of picture where I am? Okay. And uh, for those of you that don't, I'm sorry, just go with the story. And he picked up his family, and at that time across the Umgani River, and and some of you will know that river, uh, it is probably a good 50 to 70 meters wide, and there was a rickety wooden bridge going across it. It was the only way to get across it. And uh, on his horse and in his carriage with his family, he felt God stir and say, uh, go and plant a community north of the river, as that's where I'm going to grow this city. And Cogs, which is not only 115 years old, it was actually the first church Planted north of the river by a family that took up with great courage to pioneer. At that point, if, uh, if the bridge had collapsed, they would have dropped into the Amgani River with all their cargo, likely lost all of their possessions, if not some of their lives. I'm not 100% sure. I don't want to over exaggerate it, but they certainly would have lost all their possessions. And I tell that story not for cogs' sake, but simply because, again, you are pioneering. And actually, it's on the shoulders of courageous men and women that new stories start. That you may have a story 115 years from now where some people may say life changes. Surely that name is a bit redundant or that's uh, not quite what it used to be or whatever. But actually, there was a story to this that started 20 years ago, 17 years ago, and they new story into Pinelands, which was at, into Milton, which was launched. This last Sunday and been going for a couple of weeks, uh, there's a story to tell in many, many years' time built on courageous men and women. Who of you have gone across, who of you were from Tableview and have gone across to Milnerton? Well done. Well done for picking up, and you may not have necessarily had to move house yet, but uh, well done for, in a sense, being like Reverend Robbins and uh, following a leader and with great courage going to plant a new story so that more people may come to know of Jesus Christ. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And as, as you do that, actually what you're trying to do is win people to Jesus. Yeah. And so something of what I want to talk around tonight is, what was Jesus' worldview? Because if we're following this guy, you may be sitting here, and you've come to church. Now you've got to know that something of tonight is about Jesus. Whether you know him or not, whether you're on a journey towards him or you've known him for many, many years... You come here sitting because you either want to find out about him, you want to know him more, you want to have a deeper experience, you want to enjoy celebrating with each other, or you want to find someone to do the marriage course on Friday with. But any which way, we've got to understand who this Jesus is that we are following or making our way towards. And so tonight, I just want to say something of his worldview, because all of us have a worldview. It's a, it's a way we interpret. Do uh, you want me to stand still? Okay. Every one of us interprets life through particular lenses. True? And our lenses are shaped by our upbringing. It's shaped by our educational institutions, whether they be academic or religious. They're shaped by the families we grew up in. They're shaped by our skin colors and our cultures. They're shaped by the cities and the towns, and everything that we grew up in, and it's the way that we come to interpret everything through. It's the way we read the scriptures, the scriptures being the collection of writings that God's given us in order to know Him. Everything comes through a lens. We are never devoid of it, we are never unbiased, because we have to have the acknowledgement that that's how we see things. But as we come to choose Christ, and as we come to follow him, we need to understand that he had a particular lens through which he viewed the world, and through which he viewed life, and therefore if we are to fully engage in his story, we should fully engage in his worldview. Are you with me so far? Yeah? So here we go. In Hebrews chapter 11. tricked you in Hebrews chapter (laughs) 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We're going to just stop there for a second. So this is This is the picture. This is where we're getting to, all right? Because it goes on to say, but now he's spoken to us through Jesus, and so we want to understand his worldview. But before we get to Jesus, it was through the prophets. Now, we understand if we know something of the Scriptures, we understand that the Old Testament had certain prophets that had been recorded. We have Isaiah, and we have Jeremiah, and we have Haggai, and we have Micah, and we have these guys that God gave a message to for various groups of people. Sometimes it was Israel. Sometimes it was the divided Israel, the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Sometimes it was for the Babylonians. Sometimes it wasn't for Israel at all. But God would speak through the prophets, and that was the day. So what God was doing was He was taking all of these guys and and history and a sense of humanity... If you can picture a funnel, but not going down, I'm going to do it this way, just for ease of my example, there was this funnel of the prophets that was speaking towards a moment, and we know that from Isaiah, and uh, uh, in particular, he was really the the messianic prophet, um, but but multitude of prophets would, would speak of a messiah that was going to come to save Israel. Do we, do we know that, of something of the text, whether you were in RE classes, if you're a little bit older, I don't know if they do RE classes anymore in schools, but, uh, but there was this, this funnel starting to take place from multiple people as God spoke. But then we come to this moment that, but in these last days, verse 2 of chapter, of Hebrews 1, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Okay, so now suddenly Jesus enters the mix. So what, what is the Hebrew writer saying? He's saying, we've had the prophets. They all pointed to this time when Jesus was going to come. But now we have Jesus. And, it's, and he's the one who we follow. He, this is his voice. It's his time. So we don't... Uh, we don't just discard the prophets, but actually they, they just point to this moment. So they're, they're a reference point for us. They give us context. They give us history. They give us something of, of what Jesus was going to be. But it comes to this moment called Jesus. Now we go to John chapter 17. If you'll turn there with me, please. Sorry, I haven't given the guys all, all these texts. So I'm not sure if they're able to come up on the screen, but um, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit. <coughs> so we have this moment in John chapter 17. Are you still with me? Sunday evening, you're good, huh? Okay, so John chapter 17, we have this moment where he, has, he prays. It says, After he had said these things, he looked up to heaven and said... And we have this prayer, which probably rightfully should be called the Lord's Prayer. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer, kind of out of Matthew, where Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You you get that prayer. That's really the disciples' prayer. He was teaching us how to pray. Jesus' prayer is actually sorry, found in John chapter 17. But it says, after he said these things. I do apologize, I am struggling with my throat a little. After he had said these things. So, what was after he had said these things? We've got to go into John chapter 13 and 14, 15, and 16. So, just a quick little lesson. So, John chapter 13, he's sitting with his disciples, and it's the night before, or it's the night of his betrayal. It's the night before he's going to go and pay the ultimate price on the cross. And he's sitting with his disciples, and he's trying to tell them and trying to teach them, and the disciples are not quite getting it. His mates. He's been with them for three years, walked with them, taught them, but he ha- they haven't quite got it. They've, they've watched him minister. They've watched his worldview. They've watched him heal. They've watched him talk to the Pharisees about who he is. They've watched him, but they haven't quite got it, and he's trying to tell them this. Then they get up from the table, and uh, they go for a walk somewhere, and they're and they, somewhere between dinner, and the Garden of Gethsemane, where he, where he prays uh, something of this prayer. But there's somewhere between this. And he's talking with the disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. And he's, he's teaching them. And he's saying, guys, don't worry. I have to go. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to go and prepare a home for you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And they go, well, well, why can't we just come now? No, you can't come now. I'm going to come back and fetch you. Well, why can't we just come now, Jesus? No, no don't worry. I'm going to send... I'm going to send one who's going to be able to teach you and, and comfort you, the, the, the Spirit of God. Well, how do how we know? How do we know where we're going to go? And he says, no, but just, just relax, guys. Just relax. They still weren't understanding this thing. So this is all that's, trans, that it's a very short thing of what's transpired. And he gets to John chapter 17, verse 1, after he had said these things. Okay, so this is where we are. The disciples are a little bit confused, They've understood the prophetic proclamations that this was the Messiah. They thought he was going to come, and he was going to bring rulership of Israel physically to free them of the Roman Empire. Now he's saying, I've just got to go. Like, no, 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 you've been with us for three years, now's your time to take kingship. No, 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 now I'm just going. We have to understand Jesus' worldview if we are to be followers of Christ. You with me? So this is what he says. After Jesus said this, he looked down, he looked toward heaven, and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, for you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Just that far for tonight. One of, another translation in verse, uh, in verse 1 says this, uh, Father, the hour has come, not the time has come. So as we look at something of this funnel of the prophets, just work with me for a sec. My teaching moment is almost done, and then we're going to just look at something of Jesus' worldview. But all the prophets pointed towards Jesus. Jesus lived for 33 or so years. To which part were they pointing? Actually, they were pointing to Jesus himself. Jesus comes and says, "I'm living. I'm I'm healing the sick. I'm doing all of this. I'm doing all of this. I'm doing all of this." Da 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 da. But in that John 13 to John 16 discourse, he kind of says, "But don't worry. You're also going to do this. I didn't come to do these things. You have come to do these things. Now I come, and the hour has come. All of history bears down on this moment. Not the healing of the sick." the setting free of the, demo, free of the demonic. None of, you're going to do all of that, Jesus teaches his disciples. That's what you're going to do by me pouring my spirit out on you. My hour is for this moment. My 33 years have come to this moment. For this purpose, I have come. And for those of us that know the scriptures uh, we know the story. For those that don't, I'll just kind of uh, briefly paraphrase it. But, but Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane, and there he just separates himself from the disciples a little bit, and he starts to pray. And the scriptures say he prayed so earnestly that uh, uh, his sweat appeared like blood dripping down. And we understand medically that uh, you can do that just through stress. And so this incredible moment of stress comes upon Jesus. Jesus. And he starts to pray because he knew that what was before him was, a, was death on a cross. He had to have the full torrent of hell set upon him. I'm going to say in a moment, but it was a matter of hours. The full torrent of hell was going to be poured on him. And it was for this hour that he came. And he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he gets up, and he says, actually, God, this is eternal life, that they may know you and know me, whom you sent. And so something of what I just want to share to us tonight, that's kind of the back end of the story, because I feel so often as those either choosing to follow Jesus or those of us that know him and and are living in him, we don't fully understand his worldview, and then we, we live... We try to live on the front foot, but because we don't know his worldview and we don't know what Jesus stands for and we don't know how he views things, we don't fully understand how much on the front foot we actually are. And therefore, as a pastor, and I'm sure as as some of the pastors here, some of the elders here, we're constantly dealing with people that actually have tools in their hands to confront those things that they need to be confronted with. And so often it's just a mental mindset that if they can just see Jesus' worldview, everything else would change. But we spend 95% of our time trying to, trying to fix this and fix that and counsel this and counsel that. But actually, if we just read the scriptures and understood this Jesus that we follow, all of us become counselors. Not left to a handful who know this Jesus and his worldview. So here we go, two things. After he had said these things, John 17 verse 1, he looked up to heaven and said, he looked up to heaven and said. So the first thing I want to say is this, heaven is real. Yeah. Jesus' worldview is that heaven is real. And there are many, so, so heaven is referenced many, many times in the scriptures, old and new and, and all of those things, but, but two, two central thoughts, so there are five different views of heaven. Uh, that Jesus has, but, but two that I think are relevant for us tonight is, one, heaven is a place distinct from earth in which God dwells, but in which he is not confined, okay, we get that, two, heaven is the atmosphere of earth. So Jesus' worldview, so we talk heaven very glibly, and, and so often, don't we all use this language, actually like, like heaven, heaven, heaven's that intangible, the, the first view, we, we get it, it's distinct from earth, it's separate, it's where God is, but we also think that God's confined there, but the thoughts from scriptures, and I'm not going to go through it all now, but the thoughts from scriptures, God's not confined in heaven, he is in heaven, but he's not confined in heaven. He created the heavens, we read in the scriptures. So he habitats them as he habitats all of his creation, but he's not confined. Secondly, it's it's here. It's the atmosphere. The heavens opened and the rains fell. It's here. It's here. And so Jesus' worldview... (coughs) I don't want to just uh, whimsically flip past this. When Jesus says heaven, so often we kind of say, no, no, we know that Jesus says heaven. What we don't get is he was referencing here and there, and here, and there. And God there, but not confined to there. God also here. So may I encourage you that as we follow Christ, something of his view is that heaven is not far off. And that God is not far off. And maybe to try and help us as we walk with Christ, because so many Christians, so many followers of Christ, because they believe there's this distance, they don't live like God can actually be with us. It's forever this this deity that is separate from earth. He's not separate, friends. That wasn't Jesus' worldview. You with me? should probably turn to my notes now and see where I am. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 5, we read this. I'll give you a second to turn there if you're turning. Then I saw a new, just by the way, this is written by the same John who recorded Jesus' prayer. Okay, same guy. Then I saw a new heaven. Let me say this as well. John was the loved disciple. So he was was one of the guys that had the privilege of always being with Jesus. Jesus was sometimes with 120, sometimes with 72, sometimes with 12, sometimes with 3. John was always one of those guys. So John knew the real inner workings of Jesus. And I think that's why the Spirit of God entrusted John to record these words in the Gospel of John but also gave him the incredible vision of something of the end time. And this is what we read in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Just to give you a picture of, God is not confined in heaven because the first heaven is going to pass away. He's created it. And there was no longer any sea, Sorry for all you surfers. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. What words? Actually, the old heaven and the old earth, the first heaven and the first earth, What we live on and this around us is going to pass away. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And where's God going to dwell? Where's God going to dwell? Amongst us, on the new earth. Oh, shucks, there goes some interesting theology around heaven and do we go to heaven? I leave that to the elders to work out. So I just kind of, I throw a grenade and I'll run away. And uh, I'm just saying these words are trustworthy and true. Now, I'm not meaning, I'm not meaning to cause the <laughs> theological tension here. I'm just saying Jesus' worldview understood. See, Jesus understood that there would be a new heaven and a new earth and that actually his hour was in order to allow God to habitat with man. His whole life. The prophets spoke of Jesus. Jesus spoke of an hour. And that hour was that a new heaven and a new earth, and God could habitat with us. Make of that what you will in terms of whether it's on heaven, in heaven, or on earth. I, to be totally honest, I'm not really interested in that. I'm just saying that God is habitating with us. That is our eternal reality when we understand the rest of the prayer in John 17. This is eternal life that they may know you and me. A new heaven and a new earth was not a new. Uh, I won't even get into all of that. So here we go. We are heading for a new reality, but it's not heaven instead of earth. It's not heaven instead of earth, but it is still heaven and earth. So here we go. What's the second thing? And then I'm going to tie in this. For Jesus, there was also a father. He looked up to heaven and he said, Father. Now, I know that you've been ministered to uh, over the years deeply about God the Father. But this is what I want to say for us this evening. as just as kind of my, my last thought before I tie them together. Jesus had a view of the Father. His worldview included a father. Not a God that was distant. Not a creative deity that set the mechanisms of earth in place and distanced himself. Jesus' worldview was Father. And therefore, when Jesus invites us into that story, we get a Father. We don't get a deity. We don't get a creator. He does create. But he does not introduce himself to us as creator. He introduces himself to us as father. So, what does that mean for us? So, I had a great dad. I have. I have a great dad. I'm very, very fortunate. I realize that I am one of a vast minority that have had an incredible earthly dad that has aided me in understanding a heavenly father. But I know. That I can, my folks live in Durban, which is great. And uh, you know what a, t- a son gets to do? No matter what age he is. I, I've been married 14 years. I've got a whole stack of kids. I've lived all over the place. I can still walk into my parents' home, and I can open. I I can kind of just walk into the home because I've got a key to the house, without them even knowing that I'm there. Even if they're in the house, and my default mechanism is to walk to the fridge, <laughs> open the fridge because. I've got, so my mom is a chocoholic, and uh, unfortunately, I picked that up from her. So I will open the fridge to see what's there, and I will take. I don't ask. I never feel like I have to ask. I just take. that so <laughs> good? And this is something of, uh, now listen, all analogies do fall short. I, I get that. But when we understand that as we follow Jesus, that his worldview was of a father who he could talk with, who he could walk into the home with, and, and please excuse you, you theologians who want to have a go at me, now's not the time. Just, just understand something of, of, something of the revelation of this and the point of this. Jesus could walk into his father's house and open the fridge. Because didn't, the Father, didn't Jesus say, everything of the fathers was mine and haven't I given you everything? And we walk around limping as believers because we do not understand Jesus' worldview. And we do not understand that we have access to heaven which is not some distant place. But actually is something of the atmosphere of earth. Because the hour that Jesus came for was in order that we may have reconciliation and restoration with a father. And yes, there is a new heaven and a new earth where, thankfully, we're going to be rid of all evil. But it doesn't mean we are unable to experience something of the kingdom of God right now with a loving father. And so, yes, it's not perfect, but it is soon to be. And we can live in that tension with great hope and with great joy. And so I want to encourage you, friends, please understand Jesus, something of Jesus' worldview, because quite frankly, it would make my job a whole lot easier. I'm going to let you just think about that for a second. I've stood on my shoelace. A shoelace or the Father. I just think with right understanding, with right equipping, with the, you know, the Spirit of God in Romans chapter 12 talks about us being able to renew our minds, friends. And as the scriptures are taught, and I know they get taught well here, and uh, even hopefully today, I, I realize that them. I hope that there might be one or two of you that kind of go, I get it. And you go and tell one of the guys, and say, but I've been saying that for years. Well, I'm just glad that maybe today was the day that clicked, you know. But when we understand that there is heaven that is not distant and far off and that God is, uh, is in heaven but not restricted to heaven, not confined to heaven, and we have a Father where we have access because of Jesus, not a deity, not distance, not just creator, but one who we can sit on the couch with and talk to and do these things, life becomes very, very different. See, friends... By adoption, we become what we are not by nature. By nature, by nature, we are creatures created by God. By nature, we are creatures. By adoption, we are sons and daughters. And it is for this hour that Jesus came. Will you accept him? Will you receive him? Will you embrace him? Will you embrace his worldview? Because as we live in that world view, our lives become fundamentally different. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Can I ask Richard to pray for us now, but I'll just try to find the scripture quickly. It's Galatians, and Paul is dealing with some big things, and he has to challenge Peter. And um, he he opposes Peter. He says this amazing thing. He's walking around. He's walking around Galatia. He's seeing the church operating, and he says this amazing statement. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them. He comes boldly with the truth because he sees that they're not acting in line with the truth. The word of God is not pick your line. It's not, there's a, one line you can go around that mountain. There's another line you can go around that. Because what happens when we, we receive that and we live in that, you know what happens then? Well, then you get a theology that underpinned a thing like racism. Just being honest. Yeah. Apartheid was underpinned by a theology, because, but it wasn't in line with the truth. We pin find these other theologies and they go all these routes. There is a theology and there is a truth and it's a line. And the apostle Paul walks into the situation in the light of another apostle being there and he brings a strong word of opposition. He says, actually, they weren't acting in line with the truth. And so God sends someone to come and teach us tonight because actually the big message is this. Your worldview is not precious. Jesus' is. Your worldview crumbles to nothing in the light of Jesus' worldview, which means we bring every worldview we have, every prejudice, every preference, every smallness of thinking, we bring everything under the authority of the Word of God. Every time. And when we stop doing that, Jesus doesn't have our heart. It's not an option. It's the Word of God. Hebrews, Hebrews 4 tells us the Word of God is living and active is heaven is real. And Jesus cries out to the Father, two monster truths that define our view and determine our paths to walk that hopefully hold us in line with the truth. That's why God sends teachers to teach, to explain, and to open up the Word of God. And maybe you missed some of the big ideas tonight. That's okay. I'll ask one thing. If there is a slight appetite for more of the Word of God in you, begin to feed it and find the way. That's in line with the truth. And I'm going to ask Richie to pray for that thing. That actually something of a desire to know the truth. And something of a desire for his, the father's worldview to settle upon us. I'm tired of meeting with people who've been saved for 20 years and say, but I grew up in this family. I don't care what family you grew up in, but I know the grace you got adopted into. And I know that changes everything. That's what the gospel does. So can we stand actually? It's been a long day. It's been amazing And I'm going to ask Richie to pray for us in that regard. And actually, here's the the thing. One of the things that needs to come with worldviews, we've got to unlock the old one to allow God's new worldview to come. So can you place your hands on your heads and do something just fun for me? It's quite fun to see. But actually, we've got to unlock and unblock some of the worldviews that are unhelpful so that God's worldviews can come into our thinking.
0: Jesus, we thank you that uh, we thank you that we're in good company with the disciples, who even after being with you for three years, and even after you're sitting around the dining room table with them and, and explaining and explaining and explaining, they they didn't get it. But we, so, so we we don't have to feel so ignorant. Uh, but we also thank you that we stand this side of your death and your resurrection. We stand with the scriptures and actually it is the glory, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And we don't want to, we don't want to be found wanting because you have put the scriptures in our hands. And God, we want to be those that, that understand us and we see, you, uh, we see you have a transfiguration moment where James and Peter and John on earth have an experience with Moses and Elijah of heaven, all at, on a mountaintop. You, you transcend these things. You, you do these. We don't understand all of these things, but we do know that you promised us your spirit who would be able to reveal and teach and show. And so I want to pray for Life Changes Church tonight. As every man and woman has their hands upon their heads, now we pray for a renewing of the mind. We pray for understanding, for increased revelation, for increased wisdom, for the truth of the scriptures to take root, God. I pray that that no one, no one would read the scriptures in the same light again. We pray, Spirit of God, that coming out of tonight, there would be fresh understanding, fresh revelation, fresh insight. I pray that there would be a desire and a hunger that comes out of this place, that, phone, that phones will be ringing as we try to tell each other of what we got out of the text and, and how we try to talk and understand this as we mature together in Christ-likeness. So I do pray, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would put, put a fire inside every heart, Put a fire inside every mind to read your word with passion and desire, with a fervent spirit, and would you give the understanding, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.